Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Hi there, this is Darren, the producer of Perpetual Traffic. We've got a great show lined up for you in just a minute. But first, I just wanted to let you know about our other sister podcasts, the Digital Marketer Podcast and Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. Perpetual Traffic is our tactical show about how to grow your business through paid traffic. And Business Lunch is our podcast all about mindset and strategy behind starting, scaling, and exiting businesses. It's like getting a seat at the table of a high-level mastermind. And the Digital Marketer Podcast is our community podcast. It's an invitation into the digital marketer world, meeting the experts behind the scenes and finding out what is working now. So we want to help you double the size of your business with tactics, strategies, and connections. So check out the Digital Marketer Podcast and Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. All right, over to you, Ralph. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to episode 202 of the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and I am joined here today without Molly Pittman. Molly is in plane heading to sunny Florida as we speak right now, but I'm joined on episode 202 here from a returning guest, one of our more popular guests ever to be on Perpetual Traffic because he knows all things related to Google and Google Shopping and Google e-commerce. Google Display, YouTube as well, like all those other platforms that we really don't talk about a whole lot here on Perpetual Traffic. And I just found out he's now mastering Amazon as well, which we're going to be delving into a lot here. None other than OMG Commerce's Brett Curry. So Brett, welcome back to the show here. So glad to have you, man. Ralph, what's up, man? Hey, really appreciate the invite to come back on the show. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And while I'm super bummed that Molly's not here because I like hanging out with Molly, I'm speaking at the same event 
in Miami that she is. So I'll see her in a couple of days. Awesome. That's good stuff. Well, in case you don't know who Brett is, and he just actually told me this, I didn't realize it either. So you would figure I would know, but he's the author of The Ultimate Guide to Google Shopping, published by Shopify. And he's also the host of the e-commerce evolution podcast, which I've been lucky enough to be on myself, an awesome podcast to take a look at and to uh, check out on iTunes, as well as he is the CEO of OMG Commerce, which is a tremendously successful Google, YouTube, all things other than Facebook and Instagram, it seems like, online <laughs> advertising agency, including Amazon. So um, we've talked at the same conferences, see each other a lot in the same sort of circles. So great to have you back here today. And we're going to be talking Obviously, some Google stuff, but we'll also throw in the Amazon side of the equation here. But one of the big things that brought us together for episode 202 is the fact that we have a shared customer that we've both been enjoying the fruits of each other's labor since probably about February of this year. And even though our teams haven't actually gotten together and strategized on what to do next, we've both been able to scale up our ad spends on Facebook and Instagram for us and on Google and all the stuff that you guys do tremendously just in the last three months. And this customer who shall remain nameless, but is in a great niche with a great product and a great hook, as well as a really wide market appeal, is ideal for the kind of stuff that Brett's agency and the Tier 11 agency can do together to scale up people's businesses faster than they could on their own. So that was a conversation I think we had just uh, you know a couple of weeks ago. What should we talk about here on Perpetual Traffic? How Google and all the advertising platforms under the Google umbrella can work so well together with Facebook and Instagram. And it's been so interesting, Ralph, because this is something that I think you guys have talked about. We've certainly talked about. I did a smart Google traffic course with our, our mutual friend, Ezra Firestone, mm -hmm. you know, talking about, hey, you should be everywhere your customers are and, and people that are shopping. Of course, they're on Facebook and of course, they're on YouTube and Google. And so always believed it, but seeing behind the curtain of, okay, tier 11's ramping up Facebook. We're working our magic on Google search and shopping and YouTube. Seeing the way they've they've grown together has sort of blown my mind. Yeah. It's, like, it's like I knew I knew they worked well together, but they work really well together. And yeah. so so yeah, that was when we were like, hey, we should probably like share this with other people and and dig in a little deeper. So yeah, and maybe our teams should actually sit down and talk, and that talk too. sometime. <laughs> but the funny thing is, we've done it without, like I said before in the intro, is like we've done that without that. That that's sort of yep. the next level. So we've sort yep, of gotten yep. our feet under us in the last couple of months and been able to really scale up our spend. So for us, when we started with this customer, they were spending about two to three thousand dollars thereabouts per day on Facebook and Instagram. They're now spending anywhere between 30 to $50,000 a day. So that's for us a 10x plus increase because we found a lot of areas within the platforms that really weren't being leveraged with their prior agency. But I should say this is that this is a great product. Like none of this is, stuff, this is. traffic stuff works if you have a crappy offer. Right, Brett? Yeah, great, great product and great message. It just, it just yeah. works. It resonates. Yeah. I mean, it really helps to have that. Can you do it without it? You might not be able to get the types of results that we're looking at here, just in full disclosure, but you guys have been able to scale up your side of the equation as well. And it's not just retargeting and all that other sort of stuff. It's like legit cold traffic, people who are unaware of this product and the solution that it comes by. Maybe talk about some of those numbers that you've been able to do since January, February of this year. 
Yeah, it, it's been super cool. And of course, you know, some of the obvious places have grown, branded search, the remarketing campaigns, all of those have increased, which makes sense. You know, you got a lot more people now learning about the product for the first time on Facebook. Some of them are just naturally going to convert through Google search or maybe after watching a YouTube video or something. So those have grown, branded search and remarketing. But the crazy part is how much our cold traffic YouTube campaigns have grown as well. We got some theories on that. We talk about, you know, kind of how everything is interwoven, but they've grown too. So just as an example, Google, you know, spending Google ads, Google search, stuff like that, about 3,000 a day, grown to about 9,000 a day. And then on the YouTube side, it it fluctuated kind of depending on performance, but uh, 2,500 to 4K a day back in January now, uh, 12K a day or more. And so you're talking like 3X growth on top of funnel and bottom of funnel since you guys have ramped up. And there's some seasonal things at play too, but seasonal does not explain this kind of lift. And so it's been pretty cool to observe. And to your point, I think we have similar approaches, albeit different platforms. I don't understand Facebook really at all. We kind of go about it in the same way, but with you know the nuances for our channel. But yeah, I think this was also an eye-opener of, hey, we should probably like share data and <laughs> share creative and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and then what could we do? It'd be maybe nuts. refer so, more customers to each exactly. other. That might exactly. actually work yeah. too. So no, it's been really cool. So this is sometimes how it works in business. You sort of just, I don't even recall exactly how we met, but we said, hey, let's work together on this customer. We're now in the same mastermind together. We see your brother and we're all, we sort of hang out in the same circles and we have very similar mindsets as far as how to approach what we do online, but very different platforms that are obviously very synergistic, especially if you have a really good offer and you have a good hook and you have something that really does make a difference in a positive way with people. And that's certainly what happens with cold traffic. And obviously we have a similar kind of approach. Yeah, we approach cold traffic or level one traffic as we refer to it very differently than people already know or are aware of the brand or potentially even of the solution. You guys do the same kind of thing. So maybe you can explain to us, like if you were to work with Facebook as a Google and Amazon, let's not forget about Amazon as well. Like what's an ideal scenario to help a business be able to use both channels synergistically so that they grow together and not sort of fight each other with, you know, the dreaded attribution word. So what would you make a recommendation to people about that and how would they approach it? Yeah, great question. And I'll just make a quick comment about attribution that we can come back to it later if we decide to. I think it's great to try to strive for accuracy with your attribution and get as close to the truth as possible. But I also believe some people get too hung up on I have to be 100% right on my attribution. Because guess what? You're not going to be. You should strive to always get better, always get closer. Uh, I love the Avinash Kaushik, former evangelist for Google Analytics, his quote was, be less wrong, because uh, you'll never be 100% right. So if you can always be less wrong, you're moving in the right direction. You know, an ideal scenario, what we talk about, and this, this kind of goes back to the last episode I was on, the four pillars of Google Ads, looking at building out your bottom of funnel and remarketing first. And I think you got to do that on both platforms. So on search, you know, it's branded search and kind of bottom of funnel Google Shopping. They're kind of levels of Google Shopping. And then your remarketing, build that out. You should build out your remarketing on Facebook. And then from there, I like to look at it, kind of the nature of the product. And is it more of a search-driven product or is it more of a product that needs some awareness generated about it. So more of an awareness product. So give an example, like a great search driven product would be specific auto parts like oil filters. And 
brake pads and bumpers and stuff like that. Where it probably, like running just a really catchy ad with a hook on it on YouTube or Facebook, it's not going to convince someone to buy a brake pad if they don't already need a brake pad or if they're not the type to do that anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas there may be some products, the product we're working on together lends itself well to awareness traffic. Or I'll give you another example. We have a client that sells a really unique hair accessory, kind of solves a heavy ponytail problem, which I don't fully understand because I don't have very much hair. Uh, but, <laughs> but it solves like this problem. It's a problem everybody knows exists, all ladies with thick hair, but they didn't know this product existed. So there's like nobody searching for it. They don't know it exists. So they need that awareness to say, hey, look at this awesome thing. Then kind of depending on which way your product leans, then that probably determines, hey, am I going to spend more on search-based traffic, search and shopping, or am I going to spend more on awareness traffic, Facebook and YouTube? And so then you kind of build that from there. But build that foundation, that brand search, the remarketing pillars, and then go up from there. Uh, it's kind of the way we look at it. But ideally, man, you've got like a full funnel build out on both platforms, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Google. And then that's when you can create some real magic when you get full funnel on both platforms. So, you know, and this is something I don't think we've really talked about too much in over 200 episodes, which is what you're, you know, generally referring to here, which is Eugene Schwartz's five levels of customer awareness, yeah. which is- Which is so good. So smart. So good. Like we should do an entire show on that, quite honestly. But yes. what you're really talking about is there are going to be some people that, yeah, we are completely search-based and it's a break part. It's to your point- I'm not searching for brake parts because I'm not that kind of guy that would actually like fix my brakes. Yeah, me neither. So, yeah, yeah, no so way. Dude, that would just cause problems. Yeah, absolutely. So you really do have to sort of think through this. And we'll leave some resources in the show notes that will help you with this so you can even approach cold traffic in the right way. There's people who don't know that they have a problem and they're what Eugene Schwartz would refer to as unaware, completely unaware. unaware. I don't even yep. know that I have this problem. Like, yep. uh, you know, our friend Ezra Firestone always talks about like hair in his sink, like, and his wife hated all the hair in the sink after he would like shave his beard. And then he kind of was aware that there was a problem there, but he never was even aware that there was a potential solution for it. So he might even be like problem aware, which is sort of the next level of awareness for Eugene Schwartz, where he found on Instagram or Facebook, I forget which ad it was, some sort of big net that actually captured all his beard hair when he's trimming. So it's like, it's stuff like that. And those are really where, like at that awareness level, the unaware or problem aware, but just don't know that your solution even exists yet, which would sort of be the next level of solution aware. But those are the types of ads, those are the types of products that really lend themselves well, that very, very, very top of funnel to YouTube advertising, to Facebook and Instagram advertising. I'm sort of speaking for you on YouTube, but you can comment on that. But definitely Facebook and Instagram. So if you have a solution or a product that the world doesn't know about, or they don't even realize that there's a problem and your thing, your product actually solves that problem that they didn't realize that they had, these top level ad campaigns or these top level ad platforms like Facebook and Instagram are so effective. Whereas you're in a completely different market, you're going to be looking at this whole strategy completely differently. So, which I'm yeah. sure you do all the time with your customers, Brad. Yeah, we do. And, and I love looking at those levels of awareness because the message is going to be different. The way you position your product, the way you position your feature benefit set, it's going to be different based on where they are in that process. And when you look at the higher levels, either just problem aware, but not solution aware, or even unaware, the amount of 
traffic that's available is massive. So your ability to scale there is massive. If you can find a message that resonates and if you can at least find the person that fits your buyer profile, you know, within those audiences. But yeah, so we look at, I guess to use an example, you know, look at all the influx of mattress companies, kind of the direct-to-consumer mattress companies. And those are all kind of built around, hey, your bed is no good. Like the reason you're tired and cranky and sore is because your bed is the problem, right? So maybe like deep down people wake up and they know they're not feeling well rested or maybe they're a little bit sore or whatever, but they, they don't know their mattress is the problem. So these videos kind of do that. They say, hey, here's the problem. Oh, and it's the mattress. And so, you know, what we look at on our end is what audiences kind of lend themselves to those levels of awareness, knowing that the closer you get to being product aware, someone aware of your product, the more likely that audience is to convert, right, rather than a, than a broad audience. But also the smaller that audience gets, the, the more aware they are. And so we try to look at, hey, what are the audiences available to us through YouTube to hit people at different stages of awareness? And again, usually, like I said before, where we're trying to build from kind of the bottom of the funnel up, even with upper funnel stuff, we're kind of looking at okay, what's the more aware audience? And then as that converts, then we start to move up to less aware, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So what are the tools, like some of the targeting tools that we were talking about prior to the show? Like what are the tools that Google and, or we can even talk about Amazon here, where you have some really cool targeting that will allow you to both target perhaps unaware or problem aware, but also maybe intent. There's a little bit of intent base. It's not quite search yet, but it's in market. Yeah. So we'll kind of dive into YouTube first. And then we love to talk about Amazon because some of the new targeting options with Amazon display ads kind of blow my mind. I think for most marketers out there, they will uh, YouTube. But for YouTube, you know, as we're looking at kind of a a more aware audience, but still considered, you know, top of funnel or cold traffic, we would look at something like an in-market audience. And that's where Google, you know, is of course watching everybody's behavior, but they're watching kind of the, the recent two-week behavior and saying, hey, you're in the market based on your search behavior and the sites you're visiting, you're in the market for skincare, or you're in the market for luxury travel, or you're in the market for some kind of automotive product. So that, that's kind of a general in-market audience. Those can be great. Those can be super, super effective. You're in the market for a new car, a new automobile, or a new motorcycle, something like that. Then kind of related would be a custom intent audience. And this is where you can apply your creativity and kind of build the audience you want. So basically, you give Google a list of search terms. And you say, hey, I, Google, build for me an audience of people that are searching for these search terms on Google and then allow me to target them on YouTube or on the Google Display Network. And so those custom intent audiences can be extremely powerful. And then kind of up from there would be more like affinity audiences. And so affinity audiences are more, think about custom intent or in market, it's kind of like your recent behavior, like you're doing something right now. Affinity is more about your consistent behavior. So maybe I'm in the affinity group of foodies because I like to go to restaurants. And I like, I'm always looking at recipes and stuff. I'm actually making that up. I'm not. but Or maybe I'm just into luxury travel or I'm, I'm into sports of different types. And so that's kind of an affinity audience. And you can build custom affinity audiences as well where you can say, hey, Google, based on people that go to these websites, kind of build me an audience. Although that feature, it's cool, but those audiences are usually massive and kind of broad and and then kind of above that would be, you know, demographic targeting and contextual targeting and things like that. 
So really, we try to look at what's the nature of this product, and then what's the budget, and what are the assets that we have access to, and then we kind of form our audience and campaign strategy uh, with with kind of all those things in mind. Got it. So just talking the Google platform there for all those different types of audiences. On the customer that we work together, do you use all of them together or do you find one is better than the other because this isn't necessarily one of those like brake pad type customers i'm not actively searching for it but when i see something i'm like hey that's something that i think i really want all of the above and so for this particular client we're using yeah custom intent heavily heavily you know people that are visiting uh, we, we build custom affinity audiences based on magazines and news sites and stuff that someone may be consuming we look at general in-market audiences. We do quite a bit of keyword targeting, which in YouTube, keyword targeting is more of a contextual type targeting. It's not keywords you're typing in per se. It's YouTube matching your ad to content that's related to the keywords you pick. So it's like contextual keywords. So that works well. Placements, just going out and finding like, hey, this video would make sense. Let's, let's run an ad next to it. We experiment with placements which is interesting. And then something we do for everybody that I didn't mention before is, and this is kind of the between cold traffic and true remarketing, we have a campaign built for people that view a video but don't go to the site. So someone who's maybe engaged with the video, there's something there that hooked them, they watched it all or watched to the billable point, but they didn't go to the site. So we build campaigns and audiences there as well. So super powerful. And then I can touch on Amazon as well if you'd like. Definitely want to get into the Amazon side. So all those audiences there are to cold traffic primarily, but then you start talking about people who have actually engaged with your asset on the platform. Do you consider that then retargeting or how do you approach that person? They haven't actually gone to the site yet. They haven't gone deep into you know, our e-commerce site or Shopify site for our shared customer here as of yet. Those audiences that have engaged in the platform, obviously there's some intent because they've engaged with the content. How do you approach them versus the cold traffic who has no idea who you are or what your product is? So once someone has engaged with content, but they haven't been to the site, we take the approach of let's just keep loading them up with information until they bail, right? Or, or until they go to the site. And then once you go to the site, then they'll be in our remarketing sequence. But usually what we're looking at is can we go deeper? So Clients that have kind of a medical type product or something, that's when we start showing ads that maybe feature clinical studies or, or longer interviews. Or, you know, we've run some, we ran some videos for Boom by Cindy Joseph because we run all of Ezra's YouTube and, and Google traffic. Rents of videos are like 11 minutes long for Boom, and, and they converted very well. So we're looking at if someone is engaged with a video but they've not been to the site, let's just keep educating them. And we, we almost try to lead them through a sequence Although I think you can overcomplicate that potentially. We just keep wanting to educate them until they hopefully go to the site and then they're going to be in one of our remarketing funnels or maybe eventually give up. But we're just going to keep educating them after they've engaged with the content. So then once they have visited the site, then we kind of break it up into different funnels, kind of our product detail page viewer track, our abandoned cart track, and then potentially all other visitors track. But that uh, that kind of depends on budget and, and amount of traffic and stuff like that. So, Got it. So you're approaching things like your level one is what we kind of refer to it. We're basically speaking the same language here. And, and yep, I think yep, listeners yep, of the sure. show know what level one is. Go all the way back to episode 145, where we talk about 
you know, the e-commerce ad amplifier, which we now call the ad amplifier, but point is level one traffic is cold. Don't know who you are. Typically exclusions for, you know, website, custom audiences, any of your retargeting audiences, purchasers, buyers, that kind of thing. Very different message at level one than what we would sort of do on all the other levels deeper down. What type of asset pulls people in for the different types of businesses that you serve in your agency? Obviously, the one that we serve together, I have an idea, but like, what does that creative, what does that typically look like? Or is there something that you can give to our listeners? They'll say, yeah, that's the thing that's going to really resonate with my potential customer. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think anytime you get too formulaic or too specific, you run into issues because every product's going to be a little bit different. Every market's going to be a little bit different. But in general, when we're going after a cold audience, you know, this is where, with that caveat of don't get too specific, I'm going to now get specific. <laughs> uh, we, right. we often, we're looking at You can at contradict like, yourself here. That's yeah, fine. exactly. Yeah. We're looking at, you know, longer than a 30-second video, typically. I really like 90-second to three-minute videos to cold traffic. Kind of looking at, if you want to look at a Harmon Brothers type video, you know, for Purple Mattress or Poopery or Squatty Potty or something like that. They kind of fall into that mold. So that initial video, it needs to typically be fast-paced, very benefit-oriented, needs to hook someone in the first five seconds, needs to have you know strong social proof, strong call to action. But it shouldn't be too short. Like we've had a client in the, in the beauty space, not Ezra's brand, but another one, where they had the same exact cut of a video. So same actor, same everything. It was a, it was a great video. One was a minute, 10-second version. One was a 30-second version. You could probably have test groups watch the two, and I bet you people would say, oh, I'd go with the 30-second version because it's shorter and nobody wants to watch the longer one. The minute 10 version to cold traffic converted so much better. It was like 10x better. So it was something crazy. So you want to share enough, like enough to really have the message land and be engaging and interesting and motivate them to take the next step. So then kind of from there, if it's like the viewed video audience or someone that's engaged with that content, so they watched it, but it wasn't enough to get them to either say yes or to go to the site or whatever, then we're going to maybe just add more to it. So now we're looking at what's maybe a video that's all about testimonials or, or I love uh, Ezra's formula. He calls it the, the testimonial sandwich where it's like open with a real customer testimonial on camera, product demo in the middle, then you end with a testimonial, right? So that can be great for a viewed video audience. Or we've even just seen mashups of customer testimonials, right? That can work. Or a mashup of influencers talking about how great the product is. So yeah, that's kind of a quick rundown. And I think you guys are the same way. We'll usually, though, if we get a new video, like even though we know what we're doing and we got quite a bit of experience and we our gut is pretty strong when it comes to knowing what's going to work and what's not, you don't really know. And in a video you may think is better for remarketing may do great for top of funnel or vice versa. So you always want to test. But that's in general the type of video we look at for colder traffic. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, everything that we <laughs> everything that we're told by Facebook, we've got like you guys have a very close relationship with Google and we will get to the Amazon stuff, I swear. They tell us to go shorter, 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 shorter with videos. And that's great to a certain degree. But we do find that longer meaning upwards of 120 seconds depending on the product obviously depending on a lot of different factors i would agree with you like that 90 second and you said up to two to three minutes and that yeah, 90 to three minutes yeah kind of that window yeah. yeah yeah that seems to be the sweet spot and i think that has changed i think three years ago we were talking about doing videos that were we had tons of customers that had nine 
to 25, 26, 27 minute videos we were playing in the newsfeed, which I think now is like, that's crazy, but it worked. And that's all you really need to know. When you're doing your retargeting, I have to ask you this question because I'm not as familiar, even though I started with Google pay-per-click, believe it or not, way back when. Do you have a percentage of the video that you can then retarget? Like you know that that viewed video but didn't visit site 50% of the video, depending on what it is. Do you use any of those sorts of breakdowns or is that something that Google even offers or have you found even would be useful? Yeah, so it's a little bit different. Google doesn't offer that level of granularity. So you can basically just target people that have viewed a video, right? And so, but what that means is they've watched a video to the billable point. And you can either build an audience on, you know, someone's watched any of our videos as an ad. So any of our YouTube videos as an ad, we'll target them. Or you can build around a specific video, and we, we do both. But then that viewable point, it's 30 seconds if the video is more than 30 seconds, or it's the whole video if the video is less than 30 seconds. And so that's what view to videos and ad means, is they've watched to the billable point for that specific ad or for an ad that an advertiser runs. And do you make any sort of adjustments at that 25, 30, 35 second point, knowing full well that that's sort of the engaged audience? And I don't mean to, you know, zero in so much on this, but it's fascinating sort of comparing the platforms because what we tend to do is we'll do like a percentage of a video based upon where the product appears. If they haven't actually seen the product as of yet in a you know, 50% video view, the pitch is only at the end, then that's not quite as useful. We might market to them a little bit differently in the retargeting audiences than we would with somebody who actually saw the pitch. So do you try to engineer those videos for your cold traffic to be there's a transition point at that 30 second or that billable spot? Or do you just say, hey, we're just going to create a great video that engages people and that's good enough for us? Yeah, it's more the latter. You know, like, let's try to get a video that kind of covers our bases on hooking someone in the first five seconds, having some social proof, having some demonstrations. We do then look at lots of variations, and, and we do look at, hey, maybe here's a video that zeroes in a little more on the technical for somebody who maybe just didn't get enough in that first video. But the other thing we're kind of limited on, and I'm sure you guys run into this as well, when it comes to video, and this is where I think YouTube is harder than say running just an image ad on Facebook or certainly than running a text ad on Google is, you know, the creative is not that easy. Then depending on what a client has available to them and what the relationship is with the production house. And we don't actually do the creative. We consult on the creative, but we don't fully execute. We don't have a, a studio. Then you're somewhat limited, you know, to buy whatever assets a client has. So we focus more on just getting a great quality video and then Here's our, our showpiece video. We kind of have a few different formulas for that cold traffic. And then what else would someone need to see beyond that? We kind of have some templates for that as well. So hopefully that kind of answers the question. No, that's super helpful. And uh, you like us, I mean, we don't have a team that goes out and does on-site shoots, although we have partners that will do that when needed. Right. So we sometimes we are at the mercy of the customer itself. And that's where our creative team really sort of jumps on board and makes, you know, a lot of recommendations as far as what the video should be like and how to engage the customer. But it's still, it's a harder thing to do. I think getting that right, that front end level one traffic video is the biggest thing. It's the biggest key to success, at least for us, because we run so much of our 
cold traffic using video. And it sounds like you guys, obviously YouTube is a platform, you would be doing it there. But just as an overall agency, it sounds like there is a big focus on video because it is the way that all these platforms are continuing to evolve and go to. It is, and, and video is growing online. You know, the YouTube usage statistics are, are exploding, you know, for all age demos. And so video is going to be more and more important. And I would 100% agree with you. We pride ourselves in being able to build out just a, a wickedly good campaign structure and, and the way the campaigns work together and feed off each other. I know you guys are awesome about that on Facebook, but that structure can only do so much. Like I can think of a specific apparel client where the campaign structure was great and it was doing okay. And then they came out with a new video and it was one of those videos where as I saw it in preview, I was like, oh dude, this is going to be good. Mm -hmm. And we launched that video and it took off. I mean, the campaigns exploded. Same campaign structure, like same audiences, all that. We, we adjusted the bids as we went, but the creative and getting that cold traffic message right it's not easy, but when you do it, man, it, it does make all the difference. Absolutely. Yeah, it explodes. And you look at traffic very similar to the way that we look at it, sort of in reverse. And we will typically build out our campaigns in reverse, you know, depending on if the customer has some kind of loyalty campaign at the level five traffic, which is basically purchasers, all the way back through, scoop up all those add to carts and initiate checkouts. Then the, you know, the view contents, which is, you know, looking at the a specific product and then back to page views, and then all the way to cold traffic. So we'll try to reverse engineer everything and put everything in place because we know that the hardest part to really dial in is that level one cold traffic. But even if you have that dialed in, you're still not going to be able to monetize or fully monetize all that cold traffic ad spend if you don't have your retargeting really dialed in at the lower levels, which, you know, I know from the way that you guys have operated is obviously the way that you do it. Is there anything sort of deeper on sort of past that initial interaction that you can tell the listeners about that you guys do with retargeting that's really special or if you found to be super effective? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's relatively special. I mean, there's some of the other agencies that are doing it that are really smart and people like Ezra, you guys teach this as well. I will say though, I think part of the reason you know, as we kind of had this connection of our campaigns on Google and YouTube and yours on Facebook and Instagram and why they took off so well is because we do remarketing the right way and so do you guys, right? And so I'm just convinced that either a customer is introduced to the product via YouTube and then maybe they convert through Facebook or Instagram or vice versa. They're introduced to a brand on Facebook and Instagram and they convert through YouTube or Google or whatever. And so having the proper remarketing built out on both channels just allowed for more aggression at the cold traffic levels. And so to answer the remarketing question, to go beyond, you know, we build out kind of our product detail page or PDP viewer campaign, our cart abandoner campaign, but then we'll also build out, you know, reorder campaigns if it's a consumable. So when should someone ideally be repurchasing their face cream or when should they be buying a filter for this device and let's build those audiences and let's build campaigns that trigger maybe once someone's in that 30 to 60 day window after they purchase so we look at reorder campaigns we look at cross sell upsell campaigns right so someone bought a guitar but they didn't buy a case or they bought you know the face cream but they didn't buy the mask or they bought the hair product but not the nail product things like that and so we'll build cross sell upsell campaigns and those work really well also. And so we've got kind of a variety of campaigns and we'll kind of have a 
different campaigns that we use for promos. So they're like, this is our buyer audience. And then just whatever seasonal promos we have running, we'll, we'll hit that audience. We'll hit our email subscribers, things like that. So I think just being really strategic with your remarketing audiences and remarketing campaigns and looking at all those areas, kind of the re-engagement, the reorder, then the cross-sell, upsell, and then kind of ongoing promos, looking at how all of that works together, very powerful when you combine all of those. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that I think we've both probably noticed. And I think the reason why a lot of customers come to us is just thinking all this through and yeah, thinking yeah. about it logically. Like, where are they in the five levels of customer awareness from Eugene Schwartz that's coming up again here? You know, <laughs> like as much as we're going to do an episode on that, I guarantee it. But the yeah, point you, is, you, got to, you, got yeah, to, you awesome. have to at this point. But I mean, where are they? And just sort of thinking about like, what's their experience right now? What is based upon their previous action? What should I put in front of them or serve to them that is a logical next step and an add to cart campaign or a cart abandon campaign, as you mentioned, is relatively straightforward. You know, it's like, hey, you left this thing. Why don't you come get it? Give them the right of first refusal. So like thinking about each sort of level of traffic with its own message, I think is really important to dial this stuff in going all the way back to the level one cold traffic, which, as I think we both agree, is the most challenging, but it's not going to be nearly as successful unless you have all the other levels of retargeting really well thought out. And it sounds like you guys obviously do it in a very similar way to how we do it in our agency. Yep, 100%. 100%. I think you run into people, either agencies or clients that say, oh, remarketing, yeah, sure, we're doing that. We got the remarketing campaign, one campaign. It's you know, all visitors and they run an ad. They're like, okay, well, you're probably like 10% of the way there, you know, <laughs> right. on, on, what, on what you should do with remarketing. Yeah, so. yeah, it's true. But they are doing their retargeting. Yes, exactly. Got that, ch check that box. Exactly. This is more of a curious question from my perspective. So when you show customer results, you're obviously showing in aggregate. So with all the Google platforms, and we are going to get to Amazon, we are going to make time for it. Do you show your customers like what my return on ad spend is to cold traffic to like, engaged audiences to my retargeting audiences and what would that sort of blend be and how do you deal with the customer facing part of that how you sort of explain what you're doing how you're scaling up how all these parts sort of fit together and this is something where we're really kind of perfecting some or working on perfecting some visuals on this and so we like to speak in terms of portfolios so our, our campaigns or even our, our accounts, because a lot of times we're working with multiple Google accounts for a few reasons. But we talk about portfolios. And so you've got kind of your bottom of funnel and your top of funnel and then the stuff in, in the middle. And so usually what we look at is we say, okay, what is your overall return on ad spend goal? Or CPA goal, if that's what a client prefers. But what's your overall return on ad spend goal? So do you need to hit a three, as an example, a 300% return on ad spend or 3x? Okay, great. That's your portfolio goal. Now, what combination then of campaigns leads to the greatest total volume while still hitting that three? So as an example, then what we might do for a client is to get a three overall, then maybe top of funnel YouTube needs to be at like a 1.5 or a two. And then some of our campaigns in the middle, like the viewed video campaigns need to be a little bit higher your non-brand search and shopping need to be higher, your you know, maybe three or four or something like that. Your remarketing campaigns need to be a five or six. Then we put together a dashboard. We use Google Data Studio. It's, it's a great tool. 
We'll pull all that data together and say, okay, here's our portfolio performance, right? And then we break it out by campaign and by level also, but looking at it on a portfolio basis because what a lot of people will do is they'll say, hey, I got to be at a 3x. So then they'll want every single campaign at every single level to be at a 3x. And I'm just making up numbers. These could vary. We have some clients that need to be at an 8x or whatever. But I think the mistake that can be made is then that they want every campaign to do that. When really you should look at what do all our campaigns do together. Now, that doesn't mean you, you have some campaigns that are clearly doing nothing, but you just keep them because the rest of the campaigns hide the failure of that one campaign. Mm-hmm. But set clear goals at different stages and then see how they work together. Because almost without a doubt, if you can get clear goals at different stages of the funnel, then your overall results are going to be much, much bigger than if you just held every campaign to the same standard. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what's a reasonable expectation? I mean, just for our listeners, I mean, obviously, they might not have the expertise that your creative team does and your targeting and everything that goes along with that. But I mean, what's a realistic expectation of like return on ad spend, for example, for a level one traffic I mean, or cold traffic. What do you guys sort of gauge is, all right, if we can get that dialed into this number, then we know pretty much everything else is going to fall into place and get very close to the overall goal. So there are a few factors that play into that. So average order value actually does play a big part in it because we do have several clients that have a lower average order value, but maybe they're consumable, like a deodorant or a skincare or something like that. And so that then has an impact. So usually with a lower order value, it's harder to hit a high return on ad spend at scale, right? So if your average order value is $20, well, man, you may have to spend 20 bucks to get that sale. So you're probably going to hit like a one, but then you make up for it in terms of reorder and then your search and shopping and remarketing campaign should do much better than a one, things like that. But for larger ticket items, so then we have other clients, as an example, you know, someone selling a, a watch or something like that, or motorcycle helmet, where it's you know 300 bucks a purchase, so higher AOV, it's easier to get that solid return on ad spend. And so then maybe for Top of Funnel YouTube, you are getting a two. We've got a few clients that need to hit a three for Top of Funnel YouTube. It's possible. Much easier if you're selling a $1,000 medical device than if you're selling a $12 stick of deodorant. So kind of all those play together, but you know you could be in that one to three X return on top of funnel YouTube is not out of the question. Just know that usually the higher you have to be in terms of your goal, if you need to be at a 3X or something, your volume is just going to go down. If you can survive at a 1X or a 2X, you're going to have much more volume available to you. Got it. There's two sides to that equation too. I mean, a $25 AOV is a heck of a lot easier to probably sell from a price point perspective Correct. on YouTube Correct. than a $1,000 yep. medical device. It but, is. But it still, is. I mean, yeah, AOV certainly will affect things and it, it really does come back to the business itself uh, in many cases, like how that's dictated. And you got to have a healthy business to be able to spend money on ads. You, you just really do, doubt. you know? Without a doubt. Or a very large war chest of cash, you know, so you can acquire customers and then ultimately sell them more stuff later on and don't go out of business while you're trying to make up your front end ad spend. So that totally makes sense. It's great to hear that, yeah, YouTube is just exploding right now. We're seeing it all over, not only with you guys, but just in general. And is it a great platform? It's just getting better and better and better. It, seems. it is. It's, it's really exciting. And, and we were uh, kind of the time when we were recording this. 
Google Marketing Live is going on. And so we got a couple of my team members are in San Francisco at that event. I, I couldn't make it this year because I'm getting ready to go to Miami. But some new stuff coming out for YouTube that we're really excited about. So they're always they're coming out with new ad formats, new ways of targeting, kind of new ways of bidding and things. And it's just going to get better. And so, yeah, very excited about it. And I think, you know, in some ways for some businesses, they still need to spend more money on on Facebook and Instagram. But YouTube is coming up there and it's doing really well for a lot of our brands. Yeah, that's cool. Well, we have put it off long enough here. We might actually have to have you back for a second episode to get really in depth here. But I know you have started to really leverage Amazon as a platform as well, which is something that yeah, like I'd said in the intro of the show, I didn't realize that you guys had actually been doing this, which is tremendous. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing on the Amazon side, especially in the e-commerce space, which is obviously your specialty for your agency. And, you know, if we can't get into all the details, we'll have you come back and spill even more goods on that one. Yeah, would would love to dive into Amazon. It's really something we started doing, I guess, going on three years ago now. And it just made sense. We had some clients asking about it. And we kind of dug into the platform and we were like, this is a lot like Google from a few years ago, a little more simplistic in some ways, some features that, that are not available with Amazon that are with Google, but still you know, search-driven, right? So if you're searching for a product on Amazon, which that's how most people find products on Amazon, it's via search, then several of those results you see on that page on Amazon are actually ads. They say sponsored underneath the title. There's usually a banner across the top. That's an ad that's called Sponsor Brands. The Ads that look kind of like a product, just looks like a normal listing, but sponsors on there, that's a sponsored product. All those are, are sold on a pay-per-click basis, just like Google Ads. And so we started running those. You, know, you mentioned the ultimate guide to Google Shopping. I've been a Google Shopping nerd since about 2012. Sponsored products on Amazon function in very similar fashion to Google Shopping ads, but in some ways you actually have a little more control on Amazon, which is interesting. So we started there and, and seeing great results. The Amazon side of our business has exploded in the last year or so. We went from you know, just being one guy to now we've got six dedicated team members and growing just on the Amazon side. And then more recently, we got access to Amazon DSP. And DSP stands for Demand Side Platform. Basically means it's like a self-serve tool. But uh, it's a way to run display ads. And primarily, the kind of the, the way that most people are using it is it's a way to run retargeting ads. So someone visits your ASIN, your product detail page on Amazon. They don't buy. Now you can run ads to them, pointing them back to Amazon. And so basically, it's a layering of Amazon's buyer data, shopper data, and then layering that over ad networks. And so like Google's AdX is part of the uh, open exchanges and AOL's network and several others. So your ads could appear either on Amazon.com or IMBD or even you know Yahoo or ESPN or whatever. And so now you can run retargeting ads to people that visit your site or visit your, your ASIN on Amazon. They don't buy, now you can send them back. And so you know, as you might guess, the return on ad spend for those campaigns has been amazing. It's been super, super strong. So that's a really cool way to use Amazon DSP. But there's actually some better ways to target, or not not better, I shouldn't say, some more interesting ways to target with DSP that I can get into as well, if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. So then kind of beyond retarget, there's a few other things you can do that we may want to dig into in more detail later. But but one is kind of an in-market audience, right? So, so Amazon has tons and tons of shopper data. And so they can tell you, hey, this person or this group of people, they're in the market for organic dog food or they're in the market for a smart thermostat. 
but they haven't purchased yet. And so now you can run your display ads to those people, to people that are that are shopping for your category but have not purchased. You can run it out to them and then point them to your product on Amazon. Or what's even cooler, and this is something we did, we did a lot of this type of targeting this past holiday shopping season. You can actually target your competitors' shoppers. So you can build an audience of people that have been to your competitors' products, their actual products, and not purchased, and you can run ads to them as well. So we have a client in the kind of a workout fitness you know, type arena. So you know, maybe someone visited a competitor's rowing machine and they didn't buy. Now we can hit them with an ad for our client's rowing machine, and that ad could appear on ESPN or on YouTube even or a variety of places, pointing them back to Amazon. Those can be very effective as well. So... Amazon, I think I told you before the show, uh, last year we were one of the fastest growing agencies running uh, Amazon DSP ads. And so we got invited out to the Amazon HQ in Seattle. It was really cool. But we heard from multiple people that at Amazon, they're seeing the potential of their ad business. And so at the highest levels, they're really investing in ad tools and ad technology. And they want to make this offering better, uh, which is exciting because it's working really well right now. So excited to see kind of how this grows and evolves in the, in the coming years. Man, that is badass. Totally. Totally. <laughs> totally. I so wish that was available via Google, the competitive targeting. It's really not. There's some people claim there is, but there's not, not at that level, not at that level. Retargeting your visitors. I just love it. It's just, that's just a beautiful thing. So it's amazing. You really sit back and think about how far our industry has come. I mean, obviously the digital side versus like TV or traditional media, it's, it's crazy. But just think about the stuff that we're talking about now that's possible. That wasn't even a possibility. Retargeting wasn't even a possibility like 10 plus years ago. Yeah. So it's amazing yeah. how much it's changed. And now this stuff, especially with Amazon just coming on, it's just a, a major player in the digital yep. space. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the number three ad platform now behind Google and Facebook. And I mean, Google and Facebook have pretty sizable leads, but Amazon is growing so fast with their ad business. It's it's really crazy. And and I agree, man. It's kind of like a marketer's dream right now. I mean, there's just so many tools available that if you're creative and you understand psychology, the psychology of buying, and you understand advertising, you, you can do some cool stuff right now. Yeah, I know you're going to go back and reread uh, Breakthrough Advertising, although it is being sold on Amazon for only $535. So maybe that's the reason why you could read a blog post about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, go to the blog post. There, there's some good blog posts about the five levels of awareness and other Eugene Schwartz goodness. You think someone would just print that thing? <laughs> no kidding. And, and make a killing off of it. But yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure that Amazon's making a, a penny or two off it. But no, this has been awesome and uh, really appreciate you coming on and dropping the goods here. I mean, I think the big thing is, is that, yeah, Google and Amazon, of course, as well as the Facebook, Instagram ad platforms, they all work in synergy together. We didn't even talk about attribution all that much, which is sort of a thorny subject, but you can go back to uh, episode 198, where we talk about the Facebook attribution tool and some of the questions that are around that. But um, hey, as long as we're growing our customers' businesses faster than they could on their own, and we're definitely doing that with this customer, like, and they get it, we're just going to continue to scale. And I think uh, having you on today is proof positive that both platforms work so well together, finding those buyers out there through cold traffic, retargeting them with the right message and you know, meeting them wherever they are, be it on Google, Display, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, even Amazon. It is a marketer's dream here in 2019, uh, advertising all these places. And really appreciate you coming on today. 
and uh, giving us the goods, man. This is good stuff. And we'll have to yeah. have you back real soon. Absolutely. Would, would love to come back. And this is this has been a blast. I love talking about this stuff. And, and uh, yeah, hopefully that was valuable. Cool. So how can people find Brett Curry? Where's the best place to find you? Yep. So best place to check us out is omgcommerce.com. That's our agency site. Drop us a line there if you want to chat about Amazon or, or YouTube or Google. Happy to do that. Check out e-commerce evolution podcast as well talk about all these topics there except facebook other than when we have ralph on we should probably need to do that again soon <laughs> yeah, get, so. get us a facebook update on there because we don't talk about facebook much yeah, nothing's changed really since so. i've been out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah that's awesome <laughs> no this has been great really appreciate it so definitely check out omg commerce for brett as well as his book and his podcast which is a great show and definitely subscribe to that on iTunes. So this has been episode 202 of the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. All the resources are going to be available in the show notes. Just go to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast episode 202. Brett Curry, thanks for bringing it today, bud. And we'll talk to you next week. See ya. listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. John Moran here. Q1 is closing and it probably didn't go as well as you'd hoped. I'm sure your agency is telling you that they crushed it, but in reality, it probably crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you, or if there's something wrong but you can't quite put your finger on what, go to tier11.com forward slash apply. That's tier11.com forward slash apply. And we'll get set up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make agencies look good.